I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This week's sponsor is Book of the Month Club again. Book of the Month Club is a service which I think is like the best thing ever, where you get to pick from five books each month uh, to get whichever one is your favorite. Book of the Month Club is offering Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books listeners an exclusive offer of signing up for just $5 for your first book. This is not to be missed. Bookofthemonthclub.com. Go check it out. And many of the books on this podcast have been Book of the Month Club picks. Uh, so go, just go buy them. Enter code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, for this exclusive offer. I'm here today with Allison Kane, who's the founder of Haven's Kitchen, a cooking school, cafe, and event space in New York. She's the author of the Haven's Kitchen Cooking School, Recipes and Inspiration to Build a Lifetime of Confidence in the kitchen. She's also the creator of podcast In the Sauce on the Heritage Radio Network and recently launched a line of fresh made sauces. She has a master's in food studies from NYU. A mother of five, Allison currently lives in New York. So welcome, Allison. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me. I am particularly excited because you have five kids and I have four kids. So now I feel like I'm like a slacker compared yes, to you. Yes, I was just thinking that. Yeah, good. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, so you started Haven's Kitchen. And I want to know about how you started. I know you went to school for nutrition. You have like this whole amazing background. Yeah. But you stumbled upon a carriage house. Tell me how you founded Haven's yes. Kitchen and turned it into a cooking school and an event space and now um, a cookbook and all the rest. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just sit back now. And okay. You can, you can yeah, yes, okay. I'll talk for the next 40 minutes. <laughs> Basically, I was a stay-at-home mom. And when I was 38, I decided to go back to school. I did not get a degree in nutrition. I got a degree in sort of food systems and food studies and sustainability Nutrition, I, I'm like a, I really love food. Did I say nutrition? Yeah. I'm sorry, sorry, no, sorry. No, it's I, fine. I had I it just down always, here correctly. People I'm sorry. usually say, like, I either went to culinary school or I'm a nutritionist, and I'm neither a chef nor am I a nutritionist. I'm a really good home cook, but I did get a degree in sustainability and food systems. And basically, all that means, you know, from sort of production through post-consumer usage, what are the things that affect what we eat and how we eat and how it's grown and everything. And what I learned sort of in that program over and over again was the importance of home cooking, that people who cook from scratch tend to be more engaged with the environment, tend to care more about the way that farm labor, you know, is treated. They're definitely more careful about their personal health. They're sort of impacting the larger system from a lot of different places positively. Mm. And in 2010, you know, I was teaching people how to cook in my kitchen just because I liked it so much and friends of mine didn't really feel comfortable in the kitchen or they were having kids and they didn't know how to make food for themselves and their partners or they didn't, you know, there was a lot of confusion, like sort of fear and loathing around the kitchen. So I thought I would just, you know, start an actual school where I could take people to the farmer's market and then teach them how to cook. And I could find a little space near the market and bring them and lock up after I was done. And, you know, it wasn't a novel concept. People have these little schools all over the world, just not in New York. And then I fell in love with this carriage house on 17th Street, and it was way too big for what I wanted to do. And it had ground level retail, which was ridiculous. And everyone said, don't do that. It's a nightmare. And of course I did it. <laughs> and then I didn't really know that it was going to be an event space. But month one, a couple came to us and wanted to have their rehearsal dinner there. 
and we figured it out. And now we do about 300 events a year. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we do like 40 weddings and we do a ton of like corporate dinners and brand activations. And, you know, we have an in-house catering team and design team and everything. So it's still a cooking school very much at the heart of it. And we have an all-day cafe, but the events are really what drives the business and pays the rent. And which part of it is most exciting to you still? You know, what's exciting to me is that it works again. I'm going to keep using the word system probably because that's just how I think of things. Like what's exciting to me is that it all works together. I wouldn't want to just own an event venue, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't in Manhattan with rent and labor the way it is just own a recreational cooking school or a cafe. So, you know, the way that they all work together and the way that they kind of create an atmosphere for people that's that's about food, but it's also about education and community and confidence. And, you know, now we've expanded into a line of sauces and right, grocery stores. So And you can order them on Amazon. Yeah, you They're can order all them over. Fresh Direct, yeah. buy them at Whole Foods. We just moved into the new Wegmans and Oh, I just heard about that. Yeah, yeah that's it's really exciting. fun. So learning, you know... I'm excited about the way it all works together and the way each piece of it you can learn from and it influences another piece of it. And, you know, that there's really, you can come to Haven's Kitchen and actually sit and use our Wi-Fi and drink water and actually cost us money. Or you can come and have a $50,000 wedding and there's a place for every single person in that line, you know, to engage with what we've built. So that makes me feel very happy. And tell me about the cookbook. The cookbook, you know, basically, this is funny. I was just actually talking to my friend who made me write the cookbook. (laughs) So probably week one when I opened, for I've been a cookbook collector for a long time and moved about half of my collection to Haven's Kitchen just to have in the cafe for people to read if they want to. What do you mean by collection? Like how many cookbooks do you have? I mean, I probably have... Three to 500 cookbooks. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. I read them like novels. They are, to me, history books and anthropology books and comedies. And they're everything. Like if you find really good food writers, there's, to me, nothing more fun to read. So once I fall in love with one, I can't really let it go. It's kind of a hoarder thing of cookbooks. That's awesome. Um, I love that. And, you know, I mean, I... I'll just start sending mine to you. Yeah. (laughs) I know. It's good. You got to clean some out every once in a while. But, you know, there's, I mean, I have a book on, like, Southern Indian cooking that, because I wrote a paper one semester in school about Kerala and sort of the, the cuisine of Kerala, and it has to do with trade routes and different religions and all sorts. It's really this, like completely Mm cross-disciplinary. Anyway, so I had all these cookbooks at Haven's Kitchen. This woman comes into the shop and she's like, whose cookbooks are all of these? And I said, mine. And she said, well, I, you know, it's kind of weird because I was the art designer on like the majority of these, even though they were from different publishers. So this one woman had moved from you know, Faden to Abrams to, you know, whatever. And she was then, I think, at Abrams or at Artisan. And she had been the art designer on all of these books that were, like, my favorite books. So we became really 
close friends very quickly because I just thought she was a creative genius. And she kept saying, you should write a cookbook. This is perfect. You need to have a cookbook. And I kept saying, I really don't want to add another, the world doesn't need another like just kind of vanity cookbook, like another shop or thing that's like making a cookbook. Like if I can think of something that's really going to help people and teach people things they need to know and contribute something, I'm happy to write a book. And so it took me, we opened in 2012, it really took me like three or four years to kind of come to the, what I wanted to teach. And what did you want to teach? I didn't want to teach recipes because I feel like the number one reason why people don't cook is intimidation. You know, they say that it's that my kitchen's too small or I don't have time or I don't know what to make. But the reality is, is that behind that, is a discomfort and an intimidation factor. And these gorgeous, beautiful books with these complicated recipes that have all these ingredients that you have to go sort of on a hunt for and spend a half a day trying to find, that's not going to make you feel more confident. That's going to make you feel more intimidated. So I wanted to write something that kind of broke it down and kind of went a little bit behind the scenes of like what is in a dish and how do you make it your own and how do you get to the point where you understand what's happening enough, either in the process of making it or when the ingredients come together, that you then feel like you get it, mm-hmm. you know? Like you grew up in Manhattan, right? I did. Okay, yeah. so I did too. I don't know if you, I did not learn how to ride a bike. I learned how to ride a bike, but in the summers. Okay, so I never, my parents never taught me. They weren't, they were city kids themselves. And everyone says, you know, it's as easy as riding a bike. And for someone like me, I'm like, that's not a nice thing to say because, Mm -hmm. you know, people kind of assume that cooking should be intuitive, that somehow as a human, especially I think as a female human, somehow it's supposed to be in your bones that you know how to make this stuff. But it's just like riding a bike. If you aren't taught at least the fundamentals, right? you know, you're going to figure it out and you're going to hack it together and you might be able to stay up, but you're never going to be like good at it, you know, and you're never going to feel confident doing it. And you're never going to be like, look, I have no hands, you know, like, so my goal is to kind of create something that gets people to that feeling. And so I feel like we did when, when we wrote it, it took two years It was a very much a group effort. I sat at the kitchen table in the middle of Haven's Kitchen and just kind of shot out questions at everyone. I kind of organized it the way that I wish other cookbooks had been organized for me. And I tried to make it kind of cross-referencing so you can take one, you know, something from the meat chapter and put it with something from the sauce chapter and something from the grains chapter and have, even though there are, I guess, 300 recipes, have it be like 1,000 recipes or, you know. And I like that the recipes aren't so obscure. They're like things I would actually want to eat. Like some of my favorite foods. You have like chicken paillard and ratatouille and like like a great chocolate cake. And I'm like, well, that's a whole meal. Like if I could just like, you know, deep dive into this, get in my kitchen and take the time and just do it. Then there are things like some of the other, and not to say I don't love looking at beautiful pictures of amazing food that I'll never cook myself. Right. Or like, you know, sculpted desserts that are like impossible for a home cook. But I I enjoy that. But this is like, okay. And it's the same way like the Barefoot Contessa cookbooks are like, they're like things I'd want to actually eat and make. She's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I don't make dessert. I Mm -hmm. am not, I don't like baking. I don't like measurements. 
I'm really not, I forget about dessert most of the time. Like I'll just put a chocolate bar on the table and call it a day. And so even with the dessert chapter, I was like, they have to be things that are not fussy. Mm-hmm. I can't stand fussy. That's a good word, yeah. So poaching a pear, candidly, mm-hmm. is one of the easiest things you can do. It makes you feel like a goddess mm-hmm. because your house smells like pear and vanilla and, you know, you you feel, and cinnamon. <laughs> and you're like, you know, patting around in a muumuu and bare feet. And, you know, then you serve these beautiful pears and all you need to do is like put a little glob of ice cream and everyone's like, oh my gosh, you know, like... Those are the things that I really want. I want people ultimately to feel confident. That's really, that's what it all comes down to. And do you think everybody can be confident? There's no such thing as like, I'm just not a good cook or? A thousand percent. I believe that soul wholeheartedly. You know, again, there's like anything else. Some people might have a little bit of a natural sort of proclivity to it, but there's nobody that can't make a good meal. And there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to, you know. I feel like, to your point about intimidation, recipes give me a sense of comfort in a way. Yeah. Like, I can't, I used to love to cook when I had more time and Mm -hmm. I could make these, like, beautiful dinner parties and whatever. And I love to bake. I feel really good about baking. Unlike you. Yeah, that's why you like recipes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like, oh, just feel it. But my husband, on the other hand, like, he'll just this, this, oh, this, I think, whatever, and he'll just throw stuff in and it's amazing. Yeah. But that makes me nervous. Yeah, there, I mean, the world is kind of divided into two. You know, there are people that, like, the the comfort and security of the list and the, and the recipe next to them versus the people like me that that just makes, I feel kind of rage when I have, like, a sheet of paper with measurements next to me. And I'm always second-guessing, like, oh, wait, did it say two tablespoons or two teaspoons? Mm-hmm. And did I do this out of order? And it just gives me agita. What I'm hoping is that they, in there, there's like kind of a mix of both. Yes, like, there is. You can take this and wing it, mm-hmm. or you can follow these simple steps and just, and it will try to lay it out for you so that it's comfortable and you don't have to be craning your neck every three seconds back and forth to make sure that you're on track. But I don't think that you're, you know, someone like your husband is necessarily like a better cook. Oh, he is. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's just a more intuitive cook. And he's probably gotten confident because he does it more often, right? Like anything else, the more often you do something, the more confident you are. The more fun you have doing something, the more often you do it. The more comfortable, right? So it's it only follows, right? right? If he, you know, if he loves it, he's going to be better and better and better at it, and he's not going to have that sort of like emotional block between him and just he's going to take risks. He's going to wing it. You know, he's probably going to just enjoy the process more, which I think comes out in the food a little more. It's funny, when I was, before I was even dating him, we were, you know, chit-chatting, whatever, and he was saying how much he loved to cook. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, oh, I don't really love to cook, but I love to bake. And it's so funny, because then I realized, like, when I was younger, I was always looking for a partner who liked the same things I liked, right? Like, oh, you like to cook? Oh, I love to cook, too. Great. But then I realized he likes to cook and I like to bake, so now we have a whole meal. Yeah. And that's so much better than like the two cooks in the kitchen. It's also very much, you know, I think people who love to bake tend to be, they just tend to have, you know, there's actually a lot of research done on why cooking classes are the best things for like corporate team building activities. And 
bridal showers where like Aunt Marge doesn't know the best friend from college, you know, and instead of putting them all in a luncheon together, you do some sort of like cooking class because it's parallel play to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, But cooking brings out introverts, you know, in a way that extroverts might be sort of more dominant at a party. Like there are all these different skills, right? And my guess is that personality types tend to follow a little bit along who likes to bake with recipes, who likes to measure and weigh. I have five kids. Two of them are measure weigh people. Three of them are like throw in some things and toss it around kind of people. Your kids are so lucky because they must have, I mean, just to grow up with someone who's cooking all the time, they must, like, I know you know. Yeah, well, in a way, yes, and in a way, no. I think, like, I'm lucky that my mother hated the kitchen because I had complete full reign. You know, it was my domain. I started playing in there when I was eight. I started making them dinner, you know, right around that time. Had my mother been sort of the owner of that room, I don't know that I would have developed my love and confidence in there. Hmm. So it can work both ways. I do think my kids have been exposed to great food and to simple great food for their whole lives. And I think they're happy about that. I think they eat very well, which they're happy about. I definitely think my daughter, I can think my 16-year-old in particular might sort of, if she were on the podcast right now, she'd be like, yeah, but then I don't get to make, you know, I don't get to be as creative because mom's kind of in charge. Yeah. But a 16-year-old could find something negative with anything. She does. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, yes, I have her, like, you know, it used to be my mother's voice that was like that criticism in my head. Now it's my daughter's. It's not nice how that works. Yes. You can like like, never be free. Never. Yeah. So with five kids, and I hate these questions, like, how do you do it all? It's like, I don't know. You just, every day is different. You just get through. But how do you balance for you at least and not just when are you dealing with the kids? When they're at school, are you like full on business? Do you do emails at night? Like how are you dealing with your time at least? Well, so the kid question I think about sort of in like technical sort of time management. And then I think of it as like emotional, like brain space management. I'll go to the first one first, which is that my kids are all in high school and college. A few are in boarding school. And so I have one living at home right now. So I, you know, she's in college living at home. So my time is very much my own. Okay. I started the business when they were all at home and they were under 14, I guess. So that was a little more challenging, but, you know, I don't need to say like how privileged I am to A, be able to own my own business, make my hours, have the help that I needed. So, you know, there were times when I got called out of a meeting to go to fill in the blank, doctor, library, school conference, whatever, that I was very acutely aware that I was in a great position that I was able to do, which many women aren't. But for me, the emotional management is what took the big adjustment. You know, especially with five teenagers, there's just always something going on. And I think the texting, you know, they can text you in a way that they didn't used to be able to. So, you know, I'm having the worst day of my life. I'm going to fail everything. I, you know, I hate everyone. And then I'm left with a text message like, what am I supposed to do? You know, like she's, I want to do something. I want to help. 
she's in class. I don't even know where she is. And then I'm thinking about it all day. You know, it's just there, like kind of weighing. And then that night I'll check in and I'll be like, are you okay? Is there, and she'll be like, yeah, totally. What do you mean? Like, oh my <laughs> like God. you just like threw a bag of duty at me <laughs> and I'm like holding it and you just went off and you're fine. And on some level that is kind of my job. Like, I feel like I am the holder of the bags of duty for some, you know, to some extent that's my job as a mother, you know? But I think the thing that I learned kind of early on, and I applied it from children to work, is if you're measuring every day or even every week, your your graph, if you picture a graph, is going to look very jagged. The downs are going to be like, you know, good news, bad news, scary news, especially with a lot of kids. No one's ever okay at the same time. You know, usually... One of them is having some sort of situation. But if you go to sort of like the monthly, or you take yourself like 10,000, 30,000 feet up, and you look at that graph, it starts to smooth out. You know, what looks like a little jaggedy climb starts to look like a pretty straight, nice line going up in the right direction. And as long as that line is going in the right direction, they're growing, they're learning, they're healthy, you know, they're making good choices. You're doing most of the time pretty good parenting, most of the time. Then you can kind of not be as attached to like the little ups and downs. And it's the same thing with work, you know, especially in the sauces, like with the, you know, there's so many, there's distributors, there's salespeople, there's buyers, there's consumers, there's trucks, there's warehouses, there's all these things that can go wrong all the time, and they do. And yet, is the business moving in the right direction generally from month to month? Do I see growth? Do I see my team developing? Am I learning? And if all of that is generally yes, then I've kind of learned not to sweat the small stuff as much. Wow. I want that. I want that attitude. I have to like steal that. You and, have like, to cultivate. I have to like drop it into my head because yeah. I am I am not as good at it. I mean, it's a simple question. Like, I'm in this moment. This feels awful. My kid is fill in the blank. You know, whether it's suffering or making others suffer, whatever it is, is this a permanent situation or is this something that will pass? Mm-hmm. If it will pass, then I'm in a position to extract good out of it. You know, how can I use this to either teach them or learn something or test myself or help them grow? If it's a permanent, then that's a different story, you know? But most of the stuff that gets us crazy is you won't even remember in three months. So how did you cultivate this? Did you do like, is this like a yoga meditation thing? Is this like a therapy yeah. thing or is it just that? It's everything. I mean, I'm a New Yorker, <laughs> right? I've been in therapy for 20 years now. And I think that's part of it. I think also when I got divorced, someone, I don't know who, dropped a book by Pema Chudron on my desk and left it there for me. It's called When Things Fall Apart. And she's a Buddhist nun teacher And it's very much about not the difference between like human pain and human suffering. You know, I fall down the stairs and it hurts versus I fall down the stairs. Why does this always happen to me? Why am I always falling down the stairs? I'm probably going to keep falling down the stairs. No one understands that I fall down the stairs. Like that's suffering. And trying to get yourself off of that and into just like 
this is what it is and not turning it into something, not fighting it, not trying to distract yourself from it, not creating more of a problem by adding to the problem, Mm -hmm. you know? Yep. I mean, we're all in pain a lot of the time and it's just a function of do we medicate ourselves? Do we take it out on other people? Do we numb ourselves? Or are we just like, okay, I'm going to feel my feelings and learn from it. Yeah. I mean, now you have to write a book about this. I think this book has been written. I don't know that I would be. I don't know. Yeah, well, but thanks. I mean, everybody has their own take on everything. Yes, that's true. You don't have to be a Buddhist nun. Right. I mean, I I would rather take advice from someone from me. who <laughs> understands, like, yeah. what it's like. I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, anyway. Well, what is, what is coming next for you? You're doing a zillion things. The sauces are really a big, exciting thing for us. I mean, we... And the sauces are branded Haven's Kitchen. Yes, they are so Haven's Kitchen sauces. if people want to order sauces. them, Haven's Kitchen. Yes, go, go on Fresh Direct, yeah. Food Kick, any Whole Foods. We're going to be in all 500 Whole Foods nationally That's in amazing. April. We're in about 300 stores. They are really, you know, about 2017, I guess, I really took a look at this business. I didn't intend to build sort of a scalable business. I really just wanted a place that that made people happy and that taught people how to cook. And then, you know, being in New York, having a business like that, it's nice, but at the end of the day, it's more expensive every year and you want to grow your team and you want to keep learning yourself. And so I decided I wanted to grow, but I wanted to grow with the mission. And the mission is, you know, really creating confident home cooks and supporting them however we can. And the events business, as good as it has been and as much as it pays the rent and drives the business, it's not exactly aligned with the mission. So I wanted to do something that grew the company but also expanded the mission. And at the end of the day, it was very easy because every night in class, we say to our students, Do you like cooking? If not, why not? What do you like? What would help you cook more? What gets in the way? All those sort of like questions. And most of the time people were saying, I just need a good sauce. I don't, I don't know how to get, I don't want to make lemongrass sauce in my Cuisinart, or I don't know how to mince garlic so that it's like not chunky and gross. Or, you know, the sauce really makes the meal. And yet all the options out there are shelf-stable and they're filled with preservatives and sodium and extra sugar. And, you know, you have to kind of commit to like curry night, you know, if you want to do something like a little bit global. So it was a very easy segue for us to create a product that worked for our students, learning how to make that, you know, make a million pouches a year. That took some learning. But it's been just so much fun because now I'm learning an entirely new business. So it's been a blast. Challenging, but a blast. Do you have any advice either for people writing a cookbook, take your pick, or Uh, cooking? Yeah, I mean, I, I think my advice in general is if there's something that in your brain you think you want to do or you want to understand, but there's something blocking you from it, it's worth sitting down with yourself and trying to figure out what is causing the block. Because procrastination is just another word for like, I'm trying to avoid something because it's triggering something in me that I don't want to feel, right? So if you can get to the heart of why you're not doing something, then I think it's better than just completely, you know, continuing to sort of chastise yourself for not doing it. So I think you can apply that to anything. Not everyone has to cook. You know, I will say that, 
there's a lot of joy that comes from creating a meal for yourself and for your family or your friends. You will be taking care of your personal health and you will be actually doing something positive for the environment. But not everyone has to do that. But if you feel like you want to do it and there's something that's getting in the way of you doing it, it's worth just sitting yourself down and figuring out what that is. And I would say that's the same with starting a business, writing a cookbook, making a meal, riding a bike, whatever it is, you know? I think people don't spend enough time just locking themselves in a room and asking themselves, like, what do they really want and who do they want to be? And what is it that they want to do that they're not doing and maybe get to the why? Wow. That's my sort of Love it. overwhelming umbrella of advice. Again, into your book. Into your next book. <laughs> Thanks. You okay. can write it. Okay. And I'll then I'll just sit here Perfect. and talk. Okay. Great. I could do this all day. This is great. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on Moms Don't Time to Read Books. Yes. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the award-winning podcast. This episode has been sponsored by Book of the Month Club. Bookofthemonthclub.com. Enter code Zibby to get your first book for just $5. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 